following is a teaching from Irving Bible Church. For more information on how you can join us on a Sunday or take your next step, visit irvingbible.org. Well, good morning, everybody. So glad that you are here with us or joining us online. If you have a Bible, grab it and let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We'll be in Paul's letter to the church at Corinth. Um, chapter six this morning. I want to say thank you to those of you who uh, prayed for me and for my family this last week. This time last week, Kim and I were on the sidewalk uh, hugging our son goodbye. We left him in Chicago for his first year up there at DePaul. And so thank you for those of you who prayed for us during this uh, key kind of transition moment in life. It, it, it really is one of those moments that's kind of a, a defining moment for our son, it's kind of a defining moment for our family. And I wonder, when you think back on your own life, what are some of those defining moments for you? Right, Those moments that, that maybe you didn't realize it at the time, but even looking back, you're able to see that, that this moment, this, this season, this experience really changed the trajectory of my life, Def- defined in some way who I've Become. What, what are the defining moments in your life? As we were preparing to take Will to Chicago, he and I sat uh, one evening um, in our living room, just had a great conversation. Two hours we sat there talking to each other and, and both of us kind of processing together some of um, what we were feeling, some of the excitement about this transition, but also some of the apprehension that we both were experiencing. And I told Will a story that uh, maybe you've heard me tell before up here, a, a, a story of one of those defining moments in my life, just a, as a way of reminding him of the fact that God is present and active in our lives and, and that sometimes God will orchestrate these moments for us that, that we couldn't see coming, that we, we couldn't anticipate, but that will indeed alter the trajectory of our lives. The, the story that I told is a story about when my first week on campus at the University of North Texas um, I was walking across campus and saw a big crowd of, of people. And so I approached to figure out what, what was going on. And I heard that kind of at the center of this circle of this crowd was a preacher, a, a street preacher. And uh, he was preaching a version of Christianity that I think fundamentally repre- misrepresented who Jesus is and what he's all about. He was um, speaking judgmental towards all of those who were listening to him, calling all the women whores and all the men whoremongers. I mean, it was, it was awful. And uh, I just found myself feeling the sense of kind of righteous indignation. And, and so I began to move towards him to, to try to kind of confront what was happening. To say, this is, this is not representing who Jesus really is. And as I moved toward him, he, he put out his hand and said, 10 feet, 10 feet. And I'm like, 10 feet? What? And he looks over to the woman and who's standing there. And she approaches me and explains to me that this is the free speech area. Apparently, there's a free speech area on campus. Um, and you can reserve that space and uh, say anything you want, apparently. And uh, that's what he had done. And, and that nobody can get within 10 feet of the person who's reserved the free speech area. Well, I walked off and I'm just, I'm completely dejected. I'm, I'm so frustrated by this situation. And there was a guy that was standing there that was a couple of years older than me that uh, had seen this same scene play out over and over and over again. He recognized that I was dejected, that I was frustrated. And so he just kind of walked up alongside me and engaged me in a conversation, just offering me encouragement. And uh, that was one of those defining moments for my life. Didn't see it coming, didn't realize it at the time. 
But I, I could tell you the, the more extended version of this really remarkable story. But, but the, the bottom line is because of that encounter and, and developing a friendship with that guy that I just seemingly randomly ran into on campus that day. Because of that friendship, I later would hear about and discover a place called Dallas Theological Seminary that eventually I would go to to receive my master's degree and spend 15 years teaching on the faculty. It was because of that relationship with, with that guy that I eventually found a little church on Finley Road in Irving called Irving Bible Church. And it was because of that relationship with that guy that I eventually met a girl named Kim Smith, who's now Kim Jones. I don't know if you know, Kim's maiden name was Smith, poor thing. She just moved from Smith to Jones, just moved up the alphabet a little bit. Um, Right? All of those things happen in my life. These significant parts of my life today that all can be traced back to that defining moment walking across the college campus. I wonder what your defining moments are. Can I suggest to you that I believe that we are right now living through a defining moment in the life of our church? That we find ourselves at a, at a, at a pivot point that for the last five years, we've been talking about next up, next up, next up. That we needed space for our, our children and, and our, our youth to, to have space that was safe and that was accessible, that was inviting, that, that says to our neighbors, we love kids here. We, we have a place for you. And so we raised a lot of money. We spent a lot of money. We've, we've um, endured a long period of renovation throughout this building, but we've been talking about next up, next up, and now it's done. <laughs> Praise the Lord, right? We, yes, we did it, but, but now we're moving on and, and, and we find ourselves here saying, what's next? What's now? It's time. It's time to move forward with what God is calling us to, who he's calling us to be. We, we've also experienced the last year and a half and just all that has come with that. And in a lot of ways, we as a church have, have found ourselves inhibited from really being able to move forward and pursue the vision that God has given us. Just the, the, the reality of the circumstances that we have endured together over the course of the last year and a half. But we find ourselves now at a point where we're saying, it's time. It's time to move forward into all that God as for us. The, uh, the passage that sort of inspired the title of this series is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, Paul says this. He says, as God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, and then Paul here quotes from Isaiah the prophet, in the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. And then Paul says, I tell you, Now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the time. Paul begins his statement here by telling the church at Corinth and and through through that extended to us that he says, you are God's co-workers. Isn't that an interesting way to think about who we as the church are called to be? That we're co-workers with God, that God is at work accomplishing his purposes in the world and he's called us to be co-workers, to, be, to, to labor alongside him. I wonder if uh, you've ever had one of those co-workers, right? One of those co-workers that just, 
that just didn't seem to pull their share, right? That, that really didn't fulfill their sense of responsibility. I, I suspect at some point along the way, nearly all of us have had one of those coworkers, right? Maybe if you haven't, maybe you need to do a little self-examination. Maybe you're that coworker. Um, and I can't help but wonder if God sometimes thinks that about us, right? That we're called to be his coworkers. Are we doing our part in working with him to accomplish his purpose in the world? God has called us to be co-laborers with him. And then, then Paul says, as co-workers of God, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. That, that you're not just to sit back and, and receive all of the goodness, all the blessing, all the grace of God and just take it in for yourself. Enjoy it for yourself. That, Paul says, is taking it in vain. That we're not meant to be mere spectators. We're meant to be participants. They were not to be what Dallas Willard referred to as vampire Christians. Vampire Christians that have just enough of Jesus' blood to have eternal life. No. Jesus has called us into a relationship with him, or salvation by grace through faith, but that he's called us to follow him, to be a part of his work in the world. I urge you, Paul says, as God's co-workers, don't receive the grace of God in vain. Get in the game. We have work to do. And, and, and then I love this. He says, I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. And I don't think what Paul is getting at there is just a, a particular point in time in the, in the ancient world, in, in Corinth, right? That he's not just talking about that moment, but he's talking about the reality that the Holy Spirit is here and present with us in every moment, ready, willing, and able to empower us and use us to make a difference in the world. And, and Paul is saying, let's get busy. Paul is trying to, to, to draw them into a sense of urgency of all God has for them. It's time. Now, I can imagine that the sentiment from some of us may be, isn't it time just to kind of take it easy? <laughs> Isn't it time for us to sort of lick our wounds a bit? It's just to, to sort of rest up and, and recover from all that we've endured over the course of the last year and a half. And I certainly understand that sentiment. The last year and a half has been incredibly difficult time to be a pastor. Let's face it, it's been an incredibly difficult time to be human. I know pastors, though, across the country who are um, burned out, pastors across the country who are stepping out of their calling, stepping out of their, uh, of their ministry um, after all that we've been through. And, and um, I understand that sentiment, and yet I find myself deeply challenged and encouraged by looking at what Paul says next. Right, right after he says, I tell you, now's the time of God's favor. Now's the day of salvation. Verse 3, we put no stumbling block in anyone's path. So that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. In great endurance, in troubles, hardships, and distresses. In beatings, imprisonments, and riots. In hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger. In purity, understanding, patience, and kindness. In the Holy Spirit, and in sincere love. In truthful speech, and in the power of God with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and the left. Through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as imposters, known yet regarded as unknown, dying 
and yet we live on. Beaten, and yet not killed. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Poor, yet making many rich. Having nothing, yet possessing everything. Paul here talks about the hardships that they have endured. And he says, despite all the hardships that we've endured, we press on. Now's the time. Um, I, I, I really, I, it stands out to me where he mentions there, he talks about beatings, imprisonments, and riots, and he's not talking metaphorically. Right? Paul has experienced beatings, imprisonments, and riots. And I go, I, I don't know how I would respond to that. Now, I think my temptation in, in, in the face of stuff like that might be to say, I'm out of here, right? I didn't, I didn't sign up for this, or at least to want to take a good long vacation. I mean, Paul is traveling all around the Mediterranean world. Like, I would just want to go and hang out on the beach for a while on the Mediterranean. Maybe, you know, sip some of those uh, uh, drinks with a little umbrella floating in the top. Paul doesn't do that. Paul does, despite all the hardships that we've endured, we press on because we're God's co-workers and he has work for us to do. I, uh, I spoke to our staff a few weeks back about living through and leading through long-term ambiguity. Isn't that what we've all kind of experienced over the last year and a half? Living through and leading through long-term ambiguity. As, as church leaders, we just have found ourselves going, what, what do we do next? Who, who's with us? Who, who's coming back? And when are they coming back? Who's not coming back? And, and, and what do we do? Can we launch this ministry? Do we need to hold back? Or do we need to wait? And of course, masks and no masks and all of that. And it's just been this sense of like, what do we do? Long-term ambiguity and the, the, uh, the feelings that come along with that, the anxiety that comes along with that. And, and I took them to a passage earlier in the same book and uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, it was a passage that really spoke to me in the midst of uh, processing through all of that. And this is what Paul says, 2 Corinthians 1, beginning in verse 8. He says, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles that we experienced in the province of Asia. Paul doesn't specifically indicate here what troubles he's referring to. And scholars are, are not entirely sure what trouble he's referring to. But it was a big deal because he says, we were under great pressure Far beyond our ability to endure. Anybody feel like you can relate? The last year and a half, great pressure. At points along the way, maybe wondering if this was beyond your ability to endure. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. So that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt like we'd received the sentence of death. We we thought we're not going to make it. But, Paul says, this happened, that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. Paul says, it's been hard. We didn't know if we were going to make it. It felt like way too much, too heavy a load for us to bear, God. And yet... It happened so that they would remember not to rely on themselves, but on our God who is in the resurrection business. He has delivered us and he will deliver us again. So Paul presses on despite all the hardship they've endured. 
He says, now is the time. And for us here at IBC, uh, we're going to be exploring this idea over the next five weeks. What is it time for for us? And this morning, I want to just focus in on the idea that now is the time for us to dream big. Now is the time for us to dream big as a church. I believe God invites us to dream big. I believe God expects us to dream big. And the good news is we can't outdream God. Ephesians chapter three, Paul speaks there to the church in Ephesus and he says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine, according to his power that, as, that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, amen. He's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or even imagine. God is inviting us to dream big. God is expecting us to dream big, to dream big dreams, to pray big prayers, to, to ask him to move. And I think for us in the days ahead, in this, in this defining moment for the life of our church, I believe part of that is big dreams for lives transformed. That I'm dreaming of, of, of days when we will see those children's areas that we've renovated filled with kids who are learning about Jesus, who are hearing about God's great love for them, filled with, with workers, with volunteers who are there to, to show them the love of God, to, to tell them about Jesus. We're dreaming about that youth space that we've created, overflowing with teenagers, hearing the gospel, and dedicating themselves to trust and follow Jesus and join his mission in the world. We're dreaming about men's ministry and women's ministry and, and young adult ministry and Bible communities that, that are filled with people who are studying the scripture, digging deep into their relationship with Christ and making a difference in the world around them. And it's not just dreaming about spaces filled with people, it's dreaming about lives being transformed. Lives like Amy. Amy was uh, very young when she began to struggle with addiction to the point then that her parents put her into a rehab program. Amy then was sober for about 13 years. And during that 13 years of sobriety, Amy married. She, she had two kids. And yet she then found herself um, experiencing some of the difficulties that, that life brings our way. She found herself divorced, struggling. And she turned again to her old addictions, to, to drinking and eventually to drugs. And one night Amy was at a party and she consumed too much and she got behind the wheel of a car. She drove home, doesn't remember it, but she hit a, a telephone pole, a parked car and injured a person. And Amy found herself in prison. And it was there in prison that she heard about Jesus, that she heard about the gospel, that she heard about the, the, the fact that, that, that God loves her and that there's no person that, that he can't redeem. There's no sin that he can't forgive. She heard the good news of the gospel and, and, and she trusted in Christ for her salvation and she began to show up twice a week for chapel and just continuing to hear more and more about the good news of Jesus. And it was also there in prison that she heard about Irving Bible Church. You guys have a reputation in prison. I love that. <laughs> Word about our church reached her in prison. So when she got out, she came here. 
And she has been sober. She's been clean for two years and two months. And we baptized her right out there three months ago. Lives transformed. And, and we're dreaming of more and more stories of lives transformed. It's time for us to dream big of lives transformed. The second, I believe it's time for us to dream big about our city improved. That, that, that we would see this little corner of the DFW Metroplex to be a better place to live because we're here. We've talked for years about the idea that, that we want to be the kind of church that, that if the money ran out and we had to close our doors, that our neighbors around us would raise the money to keep our doors open because of the difference that we're making in our community. We want to be that kind of church. We want to see our city improved. And you guys, we're, we're, we're seeing it. We're seeing remarkable things. The, the work that we're doing in addressing um, homelessness and, and people who are under-resourced financially with our partnership with ministries like Crisis Ministries. Many Helping Hands, Family Promise, The Main Place. The Main Place was launched by an IBCer who recognized that one of the challenges for kids, teenagers that, that uh, are homeless is close to where to school. And so uh, Main Place was launched as a way to provide clothes for kids so that they could go to school. And now Main Place is, is providing clothes for kids and for their families. And it was birthed right here at Irving Bible Church. Valiant Hearts that works with women who have been sexually exploited. Helping them find new life. Helping them uh, experience freedom from shame. Helping them find a, a support in a loving community. Schoolworks that for years we've been sending people from IBC into our local schools to, to be half hour heroes, to be reading buddies or our lunchtime mentors. And, and um, we had to put that on pause for obvious reasons. The, the schools have said, sorry, we can't have volunteers coming in right now. So we're bringing kids here. We're going to have uh, mentoring programs. We're going to have um, homework help that's going to happen here on our campus until that day that we can get back to sending those volunteers back into our schools to make an impact through school works. Our medical clinic, we have a medical clinic that provides a high level of free medical care for folks that don't have health insurance or don't have other access to health care. They can come here and receive remarkable care. And of course, through the pandemic, we had to, to stop some of that that we did in person. And yet the medical clinic has continued for the last year and a half through uh, um, teledoc, right? Through, through the telephone, uh, meeting with people over uh, Zoom and being able to still provide high levels of care. We're renovating the space that's right outside these doors. It used to be our chapel. That's now going to be where our medical clinic will be housed. And people will be able to come right in here and receive a high level of medical care at Irving Bible Church. Arise, our special needs ministry. Our special needs ministry that's, that's for children, families, individuals, adults with special needs, impacted by special needs. And that when we did this renovation, one of the things that was a big priority for us was to make sure we carved out space that was specifically designed for Arise, specifically designed for the, the challenges and the needs of individuals and families with special needs. We're now one of only... Uh, four, th- uh, three other churches, we're the fourth one that's here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area that has space that has been specifically designed for individuals and families with special needs. I was doing some tours a while back and Pastor Andy 
took one of the tours. He was with a group of other IBCers as I took him around. And, and at the end, I just began to ask people, what, what, what stood out of you? What, what did you really love that you saw as you were on the tour? And Andy just said, oh, I love that Arise space. And then he said, with tears welling up in his eyes, he said, it's just so IBC. Right? That's who we want to be. That's the kind of church we want to be. And Shannon Pugh, that's a directing of our Arise ministry, she has a vision that families would move to Irving because of the kind of care and support ministry that they can receive through Irving Bible Church. It's time for us to dream big about making our city a better place. To dream big about lives transformed, to dream big about our city improved, and to dream big about a world impacted. Did you know that because of your participation in the life of Irving Bible Church, that you are making an impact in Haiti, in Honduras, in Romania, in Liberia, in the Congo, in the Philippines, in India, in South Sudan, in Russia? Um, uh, A couple of weeks ago, I was able to be out in town square and hug the neck of Peter and Tatiana Miskevich. They're IBC ministry partners in Moscow, Russia. Uh, their son, Paul, was a student of mine at Dallas Seminary. And I, I really got to know and love Paul. And then I met Peter and Tatiana when Kim and I were in Israel uh, last year. But they've been long-term partners of Irving Bible Church since the late 90s. Peter is the pastor at uh, Golgotha Church in Moscow and the president of Moscow Theological Seminary. And we are helping them to launch a, a new church planting initiative and evangelism training. That you, by your participation in the life of this church, are helping plant churches and reach people with the gospel in Moscow, Russia. We're dreaming big about expanding our impact on the world around us. It's time. It's time to dream big about lives transformed. It's time to dream big about our city improved. It's time to dream big about our world impacted. But here's what you need to know. There is a part for you to play. This is not just something that we do as a church, a a big collective organization. There's a part for you to play. Some of you may remember a few weeks ago, I preached a sermon on Jesus and women. And on that particular morning, my friend Ben, uh, his family came to church and they had forgot to check their girls into children's ministry. They, they have five little girls and so they forgot to check them in. So they just brought the girls into the service. I can't help but think maybe that God just wanted the girls in the service to hear that message on Jesus and women. And after the service, Ben shot me a text message with the picture of the notes that his 10-year-old daughter Georgia had taken during that sermon. I, I think we have an image of it here. I love it that one of the things that you see she has listed there, the Sunday, the date, and then Pastor Barry Jones in parentheses uses a lot of hand motions. (laughs) Yes, Georgia, I do. (laughs) But I love this special note at the very bottom of the page. Georgia writes, special note, Jesus has a part in the world for you that only you can play. And yes, Georgia, he does. And for each and every one of us who are hearing my voice right now, the same is true for you. Jesus has a part for you to play that only you can play. It's time 
It's time for us to dream big dreams, to, to pray big prayers, to, to ask God to move in and through our church, to, to pray for lives transformed, to, to pray for our city improved, to pray for the world impacted. It's time. A lot of us this weekend have been thinking about where we were, our experience of 9-11 20 years ago. And I read a story actually last night that so moved me, it made it into the sermon. A story that I hadn't encountered before, hadn't heard this story before, but an impactful story, a story of a woman named Heather Penny. Uh, Her nickname is Lucky, Lucky Penny. Heather was the first female F-16 pilot at the 121st Fighter Squadron at DC Air National Guard. And she was at Andrews Air Force Base When her squadron learned that planes had already struck the World Trade Center and the Pentagon. She was there um, and word spread quickly about what was happening. And and they were there uh, in a training facility. So the planes that were there only had dummy bullets. And she and a colleague were called upon to go to their planes to get in the sky. She says... We wouldn't be shooting it down. We'd be ramming the aircraft. I would eventually, essentially be a kamikaze pilot that we had to protect the airspace any way that we could. And after receiving her authorization, she and her fellow pilot, Colonel Mark uh, Sassville, uh, struck an agreement as they headed in their jets that he would target the cockpit and she would target the tail. Of course, ultimately, as you know, that's not the way the story played out. They didn't have to ram the plane because the brave passengers of Flight 93 downed it for them. And Penny says this, she says, the real heroes are the passengers of Flight 93 who were willing to sacrifice themselves. I was just an accidental witness to history. She says, I've been called a hero for what I was willing to do. The truth is that any one of us would have made the same decision would have been willing to do exactly what I was prepared to do and what the passengers of Flight 93 did do. Why? Because there are things in the world that are more important than ourselves. She goes on and says, I've come to realize that heroism isn't something unique or possessed only by a chosen few. She says, the courage is there inside each and every one of us. And let us not forget, but perhaps more importantly, she says, let us remember that there are things in the world more important than ourselves, that we all belong to and are a part of something greater than ourselves, and that our connection is more important than our differences. That inside each and every one of us is that courage and heroism that we're blessed with witnessing that day. These are not unique or extraordinary qualities, but instead are common and are all around us every day. Now, I don't know if Heather Penny is a follower of Jesus. Her actions that day sound awfully Jesus-like to me. But I think she has a, a sermon in these words when she reminds us there are things in life more important than ourselves. That we all belong to something greater than ourselves, that our connection is more important than our differences. And I don't know about you, 
but I want to be a part of a church like that. I want to be a part of a church where we remember that there are things in this world that are more important than ourselves, than our comfort, than our preferences, that, 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 that we are a church that gives ourselves away for the glory of God and the good of other people. I want to be a part of a church like that, a church that, that dreams big, a church that dreams big about seeing lives transformed, a church that dreams big about seeing our city improved, a church that dreams big about seeing the world impacted. And friends, now is the time. Thank you for listening to this teaching from Irving Bible Church. For more information on how to join us on a Sunday or take your next step, visit irvingbible.org.